Welcome to For What It's Worth. I'm a horrible person. You leave stuff laying around? An introduction to and exploration of the furry fandom. No, no, you can't do that because I seriously think of Five Nights at Fred Meyer every time someone says that. Do you know the Muffin Man? Rue does. Well, we have a choice here. Yeah, tell them what our choice is. What are the choices? Limbago in Idaho. What the hell? That's why he ran away today and left the studio in the hands of the other fool, Tugs. And Nuka? There are certain women I just want to bitch slap. <laughs> <laughs> So in summary, people are awful. <laughs> it's it's kind of true. And welcome to For What It's Worth. This is Season 6, Episode 19. We didn't make it to 20. We've never, ever not made it to 20. Furry trash. I don't I don't know why he called it that. Uh, I'm Tugs, and Rue is out today just because of scheduling. But I'm joined in his place by Nuka. I'm replacement Rue. <laughs> Temporary? Aren't you? Aren't you supposed to be temporary lyric? I'm. I'm I, I wear many hats. I have many hats. Yeah. So, how you been? Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Keeping uh, quite busy this summer, having just moved back to Canada. Yeah, we haven't heard from you since the live show. People loved your appearance at the live show. How? How would I you rate yourself? I loved my the live show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was very happy with it. Yeah, I was. Uh, uh, I think the whole show was great, and I, I really enjoyed getting to to be a part of it live. It was fun. It was, it was, and that remix was just amazing. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> I, I kind of wish I had that when I was teaching my lectures. It would make everything I sound so much more grandiose and epic. <laughs> right. Well, if people want to get it, just because you know we like him, Frederick Miller, who made that song, uh, he has it on sale. It's in Space Travel Volume Two. It's called Universe. And that it's not the remix. The remix is ours exclusively. Sorry. But if you want the original, anyone can play it and download. You don't download a CD, but you know what I mean. Tugs, you wouldn't download a CD. You would play it? You wouldn't download a car. I download a car. I downloaded a Lucy Lou. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm hoping there's a cricket sound effect or something. If I had a soundboard, I would have made one. I have a cricket, but I didn't think about it. I don't have my little panel up because I had to do an express setup. So what's going on in Canada? How's the 150? Um, I actually missed the 150. I, I got sort of the worst of both worlds. I uh, was in, Anth- in uh, Pittsburgh for Anthrocon during the 150th birthday of Canada. So I missed that. I missed out on that. I didn't even get uh, Independence Day because I went back to Canada shortly before, like a day before Independence Day, so I didn't get either the uh, the Fourth of July or the one fiftieth birthday of Canada. So uh, I, I heard it, I heard it was a hoot, though. I am very disappointed. I I had I brewed myself some Tim Hortons. I had coffee crisps. I had all dressed chips. Like I, I mean, all I can do is eat food from Canada. But come on, how was I more Canadian than you that day? And I'm not even Canadian. I will say, though, I was very appreciative of a uh, furry who was running, or a couple of furries running around from, I want to say they were from Ontario, but they were running around Anthrocon handing out uh, Tim Hortons donuts and coffee to to people and waving a a Canadian flag on Canada Day. So I got a little bit of Canada. What? How are they getting Tim Hortons there? Is there Tim Hortons by the con? Uh, No, there's not. As far as I know, they they brought it down with them from Canada. They must have driven a whole bunch of hours. Um but it was it was very appreciated. Huh. Yeah, because I know they have Tim Hortons around in the east, but it's really close to the border. 
And I know they have them in Michigan for sure. Or, uh, not Michigan, New York State for sure. Yeah, the closest Tim Hortons anything to me is in Phoenix, and it's a vending machine. And that's <laughs> just not the same, you know? It's not right. It's just not right. I feel like I could just put a sticker on any vending machine, and it would become a Tim Hortons anything. That's yeah. Not, not the same. Yeah. Now, what's this I hear about Tim Hortons is trying to expand but can't? Is, is this true? Um, I know this Tim Hortons recently opened in Scotland. What? Yeah, it's uh, and I, I don't know how the Scots are taking it, but apparently it's it's kind of a big hit. At least the first few days it was. Um, they were like, "Oh, what is, what is this?" And it went over pretty well, apparently. Huh. Well, this is the point where I would bug Rue about tumor time, but he's not here. So I did get an email. A couple people are like, "What's going on with the tumor?" Well. He's fine, and we have done Tumor Time. We just haven't put it in the mainline episode because our episodes have had so much content. We've done a lot of show bonuses. Show bonuses are exclusive to the show notes page. It's the way we get you to go to our site, which is full of no ads. We actually don't really have a single ad on our site. Uh, And so if you want to hear the Tumor Time, you have to go to the show notes page and download the bonus. But they're there, and we had them, I think, two or three episodes ago. It was either right before or after BLFC. And... Yeah, he's doing all right. They're they're gonna let him be for a while, and then they're going to check his tuma for progress. I don't know what the word is, but progress of some kind in a while. So that's good. See that, that that's where they get you. You think you're listening to the show, you think you're getting everything, and then it's oh, by the way, if it's convenient, why don't you check out our website? <laughs> There's no feed for it or anything. There's not. Oh, and by the way, you sound really good with your mic. Do I? Well, I would thank all the uh, the generous patrons for ensuring that I have this mic and that I don't sound like I'm talking through a uh, uh, garbled tube sock. <laughs> I was more like a tin can with a wire. They don't even make <laughs> cans out of tin anymore, do they? Aren't those aluminum now? I want to say yes, although I'm not entirely sure. Huh, I don't know. I, mean, right. I don't know if you want to ask me. I'm the person whose uh, high school had lead uh, drinking pipes. So, uh, Ew, yeah. really? I think I have lead pipes in, in my house, too. But speaking of lead, it's cookie time. Will he reuse another one? Is he ready? Is he going to bed with pastries again? It's Ruse Cookie Time, not sponsored by Betty Crocker. All right, you ready for the cookie? Because it's here. I'm ready. I'm not eating it, though. I I don't know how we're going to do the cookie once we split the studio. It says, you will die at an Arby's in Columbus, Ohio, in bed with a cookie. It was surprisingly related to lead. What does Arby's have to do with lead? With dying. Oh, <laughs> lead doesn't mean you're going to... I'm not dead. Well, no, but he said lead, we were talking about lead in the drinking pipes, and you said, speaking of which, cookies, and it, it turned out to be surprisingly relevant. Oh, man, that was such a throwaway comment. Look at you holding me to my words. I'm trying here. You, you, Someone's got to. You're an academic for sure. All right, let's go to potty break. Tell me what you really like. How much you wanna risk? Baby, I can take my time. Some superhuman gifts. We don't ever have to fight. Well, we hope you enjoyed your potty break. 
And we're back and ready to kick things off. So we're talking about furry lifestylers again. Now, we've done this episode a little bit before. It was lifestylers versus hobbyists. And the reason we're doing it again is because as I've started to network with more people and they go, oh, you're a furry. Tell me about it. And, uh, you know, like in this case, it was uh, a brony and his name is Fable. And he was like, well, tell me, tell me about it. And, you know, we got talking about our philosophies and how we identify and, and I asked him, you know, is there such a thing as a brony lifestyle? And he's like, what is that? And I pointed him at our old episode. And then I realized that's a really old episode. And I've, I have had more time in the fandom. I have since acquired academic knowledge access. <laughs> that's you, Nuka. And, <laughs> and it's, it's time for a revisit because it's just old and our show's gotten a lot better anyway. So that's where we're at. And so how would you define a lifestyle if I had to ask you, Nuka? So this one would be just just my off the top of my head definition, since we've never actually specifically studied the topic of lifestylers in our research. Um, but I would say a lifestyler is a person for whom uh, furry is more than just something they do as a fan. This is something that's really incorporated quite tightly into their identity. This permeates um, every aspect of their identity. It, it starts to affect real world practical decision making, things like uh, who you're living with, um, the kinds of job you have, those sorts of things start to get really impacted by um, your interests. I mean, those are sort of extreme cases, but when, when furry sort of stops becoming just that thing you do for fun, it starts becoming a really uh, considerable thing that you invest a lot of time and resources and money uh, and a lot of yourself into it. I would say that that's sort of starting to borderline of what I would call a lifestyle, where this isn't just a thing you do for fun. This is your lifestyle. This is all-encompassing. It, it's something that I found for my experience has been the thing that defines a lifestyler versus just like a hobbyist is a lifestyler prefers to identify and be seen as their character at, at all times whenever possible. There's usually the big exception of work because work is work. and But otherwise, that like you know their legal name could be Jim, but they want to go by you know Blue or something. You know they have that furry name and they prefer hmm. it, and to the point where like if you call them their legal name, they might genuinely be upset by that. Hmm. They don't like it. I mean, as a person who I go by Nuka in my day to day life, uh, I do consider myself to be a lifestyler, not necessarily because I identify as as Nuka in day to day life, but because my my job is tied to to being a furry. Like I, I can never separate the fact that I'm a furry from the fact that I spend a big chunk of my day researching furries and, and publishing papers on furries. So in that regard, I call myself a lifestyler. I hadn't thought of it before in terms of, do you go by your persona name? I mean, so, so the argument would be that a person who doesn't have a persona couldn't be a lifestyler. Mm, I don't know. I've never thought of that. It's, it's more of just how you, the label you're putting on your box, right? Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, you could imagine, um, for example, an artist who may not identify uh, or may not have a persona, but who spends you know hours of their day creating furry art, and they're known um, predominantly by their role as a creator of furry themed art. I could imagine them calling themselves a lifestyler because it's it's part of their their career. It's a it's a significant portion of their life. Mm, I, I I see that. I would I would counter and say that every artist I know that doesn't identify as a furry lifestyler or a furry per se, though. They just see it as business. It's not. It's it, it's part of their professional identity, but it's not part of their core sense of self. Hmm. And that. I guess it depends on whether or not you consider your job to be a core part of who you are. 
Mm. Uh, and again, I guess, I guess this whole thing needs a giant caveat or a set of brackets around it saying that uh, there, there's probably no one agreed upon definition of what constitutes a lifestyler. Um, in the end, like the definition of a furry, it's one of those things where you kind of decide for yourself if you consider yourself a lifestyler or not. Right. And so I, I'm curious, if you had to stop studying furries and separate your, your professional research and drop the furry part, would you be way less satisfied with what you do for your job? Um, I mean, I was still, as long as I get to teach, I still very much love to teach, and I still do other research besides furry research. So as long as I got to do those things, I would still enjoy my job. I don't think I would enjoy it as much. I think there's something to be said for taking your favorite hobby and, and turning that into your research. It's pretty pretty hard to beat that. It's um, risky, though. It it is. It's it's certainly. Um, I, I'm not. Uh, been blind to the fact that it's it's probably not been uh not always been the best for my career uh i was advised years ago uh, by my grad departments that it was a career killer <laughs> to study furries um I, I i'm hopefully i will have proved them wrong uh by by still being in academia still publishing papers um but yeah it's never been lost on me that in in studying furries as opposed to something a little more mainstream or a little more acceptable to study in the field uh, I've probably, you know, shut myself out of that Harvard job or that Yale job. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go to our first email, which is from Cottle. And it says, hello, Rue, Tugs, and possible guest. I guess that's you. Cottle here. Yeah, your possible guest. The topic of lifestyle has always been a rather interesting one for me, as I've never known quite where the line begins or ends for lifestyle, or where I fit in that particular scatter plot. On one hand, I go to two to three cons a year. Most of my online interactions are with someone with a fursona. I go to local meets, furry Halloween parties, Christmas parties, and if anyone sees my contact list, they will be confused beyond belief. Yet on the other hand, or paw as it were, if you were to encounter me out in public space, you would have very little idea I was anything more than a regular person. The standards for regular being rather loose in my case. While I find fursuits and fursuit culture interesting, I don't think I could ever own one. I don't wear ears or a tail, even at conventions, and the only accessory I share with my persona is a habit upon the many, many, many times I have broken my glasses to go out of my way to find the same kind that my persona, a bat named Coddle, wears upon hunting for a replacement. Even in a convention setting, most people at the hotel tend to understand me and say, wow, what a bunch of weirdos, huh? Assuming I'm there on business or vacation, to which I usually nod non-committally and walk away. There is little in the way of furry stuff around my apartment besides Disney booth memorabilia, and one has to look inside a special drawer, inside a box, inside a box, and another box, and an envelope to find my badges or sketches. Yet on the other other paw, I'm a tar now. <laughs> In my forays into finding companionship, being asexual, there have not been very many, but still, I don't think I could truly commit myself to someone with whom I could not share the subculture. Thus, I'm at a bit of a crossroads in that regard. On one hand, furry does not enter my life wholly, much outside of very compartmentalized areas, cons, sp online spaces, and meets. It is a major determining factor in my choice of people I truly and openly share my life with. Does that make me a lifestyler, or am I looking too much into labels? I feel it may be the latter rather than the former, but this email's gone on long enough. In any case, I hope this message finds you well, and feel free to lop off the rambly bits. Living in all sorts of lifestyles, coddle. I'm letting you have first reply. Yeah, that email actually sort of introduced a few different ideas that I think are definitely worth talking about. Uh, perhaps the last one that's the most interesting is the idea of how meaningful are these labels? And I think you have to sort of be careful when talking about this, that the distinction between lifestyler and not lifestyler um, may be sort of a, a very pedantic one. 
Um, and it may not be one that has that much practical significance. So it's not like if you're a lifestyler, you get to be in, be in this exclusive club uh, that only, you know, it gets you certain kinds of access or whatever. Like there's no, it's a label that doesn't necessarily have that much practical meaning. So in that regard, um, one shouldn't worry too, too much about whether or not this label applies to them or not from a practical standpoint. But it's a very interesting sort of academic discussion to have. Um, but the point that I really would, would, would sort of take away from this email. I might suggest that this, uh, that Coddle may not fall on the lifestyle sort of side of the spectrum because, oh, what was the operative line? It was something along the lines of, um, um, uh, he mentioned compartmentalization. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, and, and that to me, I, I think is the big distinction or one of the big distinctions between a lifestyler and a non-lifestyler is uh, a lifestyler. This permeates most or all facets of their life. Like it, it's, it's you can't take away the furry without like everything else is kind of falling apart without you sort of losing who the person is. Um, so if you'd be a very different person at work, if you'd be a very different person in your day to day life, if you if. In that regard, if it's very compartmentalized and you can kind of hack it off and, and still be who you are, it doesn't necessarily sound like a lifestyle to me, which, which doesn't mean that it can't be very important to you. Um, but that compartmentalization seems to be very key in deciding that, at least for me, in my judgment, I would say, doesn't necessarily sound like um, a lifestyle in this case, but what even if, though it may be a very passionate interest. But what about like dating and stuff? Because that's something that I remember when I was young, and I, I remember talking to my then boyfriend now husband I, I was like you know i don't think i could date outside of the fandom like i don't want to have to deal with explaining this i don't want to have to deal with it being just like one of those things like okay it's your thing i get it it's it's so much more to me than just like the thing i want to have accepted or tolerated it's it's a it's part of my fabric mm-hmm. so does does that not change then if you're going to selectively date or choose more intimate relationships on that basis um I mean, the analogy that I want to draw, and I'm not sure how good of an analogy it is off the top of my head, but I want to say the difference between um, if you're gay, for example, um, I think there's a distinction between being gay versus living the gay lifestyle. Um, and that would be the difference between a person who's, who's you know, obviously their preferred partner is the same uh, sex as they are. Um, that would be a person who, who's, who would be gay. But the gay lifestyle would be sort of the... The, the things that are associated with, you know, the things that you see at Pride Parade or the, you know, uh, being part of LGBTQ groups or um, where it's more than just this is part of who I choose as my partner, but it also is a part of how I live every facet of my life mm. is, is sort of touched by this in some form or another. And again, so I, I would say that it's I mean, it's certainly a very passionate interest for the per, um with regards to to being a furry in this case. And, and I'm, I'm not surprised that a person would want their significant other to at very least be okay with it and, and preferably be on board with it as well. Um, I think that would hold true for most hobbies. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that makes them a lifestyle. But again, this is just my, my definition of lifestyle. So I certainly am open to other positions. I have the feeling your opinion will continue to evolve as we, as we go further. Speaking yeah. of going further, Moss's emails up. It's your turn. Sure. Uh, hey guys, Moss here. To prepare for this email, I listened to the older lifestyler episode. Personally, I'd say furry is a lifestyle either way you slice it. I personally would say for me, it started as a hobby and slowly became a lifestyle. I found the fandom in eighth grade, and as a minor, there really wasn't a lot that I could do. I listened to your podcast, read comics that featured furries and drew furries. However, as I got older, I got more confident and could do more. While I still haven't had the opportunity to attend a convention, I had attended a few meets, and I was mentioned in 
And as I mentioned in a previous email and in the Telegram chats, I was well known in my high school as a furry. I was forced to dance to what does the fox say at the talent show of my senior year. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, there's, and there even is a picture of me wearing a foxtail in the yearbook. I'd also say, like with many things that are part of your lifestyle, it's a mental thing. For example, when I talk to myself in my mind, I refer to myself as Moss and not my legal name. When I meet new people, when I introduce myself, I say, hi, my name is so-and-so, but my friends call me Moss. I mentioned this in an email I thought I sent for the names episode, but I guess I missed the time for it. But I am named after my dad, so going... And so going by Moss, I feel sets me apart as an individual, and I guess in my mind, I see myself as a fox. I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but I'd like to say that I have noticed, like Rue mentioned in the first Lifestyle episode, that I started using furry slang in place of normal words, calling scratches, scritches, etc. I'm proud to be a furry, and I'm proud to live that lifestyle. Thanks for all you do, guys. Moss. I don't know how I feel about someone saying... I listen to your podcast as like this formative thing in their life. <laughs> so that's a lot. That's a lot to like think about. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> well, it's like we've said before, like we, we make the show and we, we, we do a good job. We try to do a good job and then we throw it into this pit. It's like the Sarlacc pit in star Wars. And like someone is listening to it because I see the metrics and sure we meet people and we have our regular right or er, listeners, it's a lot of it though is just binary data out there. You don't really get to actualize that in a very personal, tangible way a lot of the time. And so some you see these comments, you're like, wait, what? Like it completely goes against that. It's cool to put a face to it. Right? It is. Or like when we do a live show and in a room that's not out in the middle of nowhere and it fills up, then it becomes a little more real. It's a little intimidating. So it's just, I, I don't know how to, I, I'm, I got stuck there. Uh, so you, you, what did you think about the rest of it? Uh, you mean, you mean the email? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in this regard, I would say this sounds a lot closer to what I would conceptualize a, a lifestyle of being. So in the sense that it's permeating the Moss's social life. So I, I, my friends call me Moss. Um, and then, uh, other people knowing, knowing Moss as, Oh, that's the furry person. That's the furry guy. That's the, um, so it's, it's much more integrated into sort of all facets of this person's life. This isn't just the thing they do on weekends. Uh, this is sort of an inextricable part of who they are. That if you were to take this away, suddenly you'd be taking away a big part of how people know this person, a big, you know, even right down to their name, their vernacular, the words they choose to use. Um, so it sounds a lot closer to what I imagine as a lifestyler. Uh, do you do the furry language thing? I don't. I, I, I may be a little unpopular in saying I, I think it's a little a little bit silly, but I mean furries are, are, are nothing if not a little bit silly. Um, but I do I do facepalm a little bit when uh, people um, in, in the Brony fandom it's a lot worse actually when people say, Okay, every pony and oh I, I always cringe I always cringe just a little bit. I'm like, you know, I don't judge people for it. I just I would never use it myself. I think it's it's a little too silly even for a, a fandom of colorful it's exclusive. Uh, friendship equines. <laughs> it excludes people by its very nature. It's not everybody, it's not everyone. <laughs> everyone. It is. It's like, well, sorry, everyone else is lesser. That's how it sounds to me. Or okay, but or it's something more innocuous than if I say, um, oh well on the other hoof. Um again, I'm I'm thinking in terms of brony vernacular. It always it always sounded a little a little weird to me, but um I'm not opposed to it, just not not for me. And that's one way, one place where uh, furry and, and brony vernacular has not entered my my lexicon. I, I actually 
for the first time, I th- either I'm getting close to middle age or I was tired or both. I was at work and we were talking about Microsoft Active Directory, which is, you know, how you sign in a lot of the, a lot of places. It's where your email is, how Outlook works. It, mm-hmm. identi- it, it holds your, your identity as far as the computer network is concerned. And it's always abbreviated AD. And I was I was typing it out or something. Anyways, oh no, it was on a on a on a mass chat between me and a couple of the other managers. And I was like, I oh, yeah, just update that in the after dark. And they were like, after dark. I was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oh a man. Bit furry bleeding into your day to day life. Oh, I was like, oh, did I really just say the after dark? <laughs> oh man. Okay, so our next email. This comes from Simone. I love Simone. I just before I read this as a quick note, Simone is a listener from China. We have we have a, a rising number of Chinese listeners and Simone f- uh found our YouTube video that you did Nuka and uh asked to post it in the I think it's called Bilibili in China. Um I'm, I okay. don't have the email up in front of me, so I probably said the name wrong. And has just been super into contacting us and it just brings a smile to my face so thank you for writing us simone here's what he had to say hello cast and guest this is your loyal chinese listener simone china has just finished our third nationwide furry con did you know there was a furry con in china because i just learned that Uh, i did i've been looking into possibly doing some research in china at some point so yes i was aware of that well way to tell everyone else sadly i wasn't there next year i'll try to make it i wasn't there either simone and i'm now sad about it I don't know what makes a lifestyler, but furry do have a great influence on my life starting with my name. I started as a Chipmunk fan, a fan of Alvin and the Chipmunks, when I was 14. If you've seen their third CGI movie, you may know who Simone is. Oh, it's probably Simon. If you haven't, go check it out. Anyway, I just joined the Chinese Chipmunk fandom with the name Crazy, I'm going to say Simon from now on. Soon, I'm known as Simon in that fandom. Described as a tall chipmunk with a green headband. I had no idea what a fursona was at the time, but that was my first one. Um, it wasn't long before I decided it should be more than a furry name. It becomes my English name, and I'll stick to it. Even after my English teacher told me it's a girl's name. Maybe it is Simone. It is. It is well, uh, they mentioned that it's the third CGI movie is when Simone is introduced. I'm guessing uh, uh, Simon is a main character, so I'm, I'm guessing this isn't Simon. Oh, wait. If I remember right, isn't isn't one of the chipmunk movies about the female versions of the chipmunks? Or I, there's this? I, I don't know. I didn't watch them. They looked. I. I they didn't look very. HQ. Yeah. And it wasn't my thing, but I'm, I'm guessing that that's what, what Simone is referencing. The female version of, of Simon, perhaps. I'm going back to Simone. Some, <laughs> this is the funniest email I've ever... <laughs> reading I've ever had to do. <clears throat> anyway. Please tell me it's a boy's name in French. You know what? It's You can have the name Ashley, and I'm not going to care. You as, a person, as a male with the name Courtney, I, I understand. <clears throat> as a male with the name Tugs, I get frequently misgendered. You will find this name on almost all my homework books, exam papers, through my high school life. I mean, I just signed Simone instead of my Chinese name, so I prefer going by my furry name because it is my name now. The last year of Chinese high school is famous as extremely stressful, and staying cute is a good way to get relaxed. If you see a boy with a furball attached to the chest of his uniform in a classroom, it must be me. In fact, nowadays, I have a fake fox still hanging from my chest like a tie, claiming I'm a fox now. Yes, I am a fox. The desire to be a fox has covered my chipmunk craze. It's high time to break the seal. Though my fox persona is still under construction, I tried to live like a fox for a year. How to live like a fox? Here's what I think. Oh, this is great. Here's a guide. You ready? One, eat chicken every day. Two, keep smiling and stay alert. 
Three, make fox noises. I don't know what that is. Four, try to make friends with cats. Five, view bunny porn. Six, That's a fox thing. <laughs> tell everyone around you that you're a fox. Seven, don't forget to keep your tail fluffy. I'm just, I'm going to channel Rue and imagine him melting right now going, ah, because he would. <laughs> I guess I'm not doing bad. I feel more like a fox day by day. So that's my story. Thank you for reading Simone from the other side of the earth. Or Simon, but probably Simone. I'm guessing it's Simone. <laughs> Look, there's a definitive guide how to be a fox, a fox lifestyler right there. That needs to be posted somewhere, I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Do you eat chicken every day? Not every day. I'd say three or four times a week at least, though. Really? I have chicken in my... Actually, funny enough, I have Chinese food, American Chinese food with chicken in it, and uh, in my fridge right now from yesterday. <clears throat> so, what? I don't understand this phenomenon, because maybe I'm too old, but school and tails never mixed for me, like... I would have had my ass kicked if I would have done I, that. I just want to say, I, I would have been beaten up. For, I, I, I did it for university a couple times after I went, got back from my first furry con. And even then, like as, as a university student, I was like, uh, you know, I did it once. I'm like, maybe not again. <laughs> for fear, Again, for fear of, of some kind of reprisal or, or some kind of um, uh, repercussions for it. So it's, it's, it's brave. I, I will give you full credit, Simone. That is uh, very it, brave of you. <laughs> and in China, where it's, I think they're more conservative, generally oh, speaking. Yeah. Right. From what I've, I've, I've heard in interviews with Chinese furs, uh, it is definitely not as um, open minded towards furries as you might. Find. Uh, I mean, I, I'd be hesitant to call North America open minded towards it in some regards, but it's definitely not as acceptable. Yeah, yeah, relatively speaking. Wait, wait. What do you mean interviews with Chinese furries? Where, where where are you going to? Where is this Chinese furry news stuff at? I don't know where any of this is. I've had several Chinese furries contact me, hoping that our research team would would go over to China at a furry con there and study them. Or alternatively, oh. they want to do research for us there. So this and is send us the results. This is the B side of that video. Something like that. Oh, okay, yeah, because I know that that video is watched a lot in Chinese, mm -hmm. a lot. So I'm not surprised. That's cool. So, yeah. oh, you know what? He forgot one thing. It's a fox lifestyler, though. You got to do it a lot. <laughs> Isn't that the rule? That's, I, I think I mentioned in previous episodes. That's just a misconception. <laughs> All right. What is it? What's what? What species is the most promiscuous? Uh, dogs. Don't you do that? I'm just. I'm just telling you. No, you're just being a cat. That's what you're doing. I'm being a cat. I'm being lazy. Isn't that what and a also, cat is? And also, apparently, female, according to the statistics. <laughs> All right. It's again, time. My name is Courtney. It's time for space news. Goodbye. Hailing frequencies open, Smokescale Aquatus here with another round of news for you. As of Wednesday, August 2nd, here are your space headlines. Kuru is about to see the 10th flight of the super lightweight Vega rocket. The solid fuel booster is carrying two satellites. One will be working for the Italian military, the other environmental research. If this goes off without a hitch, it will be 10 straight successful launches of the Vega in a row, giving it a 100% success record. Now, this rocket is designed for smaller spacecraft, but that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that these satellites are that small. Together, they weigh a total of 632 kilograms. That's 1,393 pounds, so they're still fairly chunky. Vega fills an interesting niche in rocketry, carrying this scale of satellite. 
We've got plenty of mid to large payload lifters. We've got a couple of super heavy lifters with even more powerful rockets on the way. And then we have rockets designed to carry really small payloads, CubeSats and the like. Vega represents a less expensive alternative than ride-sharing with bigger payloads, or wasting a more expensive rocket on a payload too small to make effective use of its capacity. In fact, just a few minutes ago, as of this recording, the Vega rocket freaking leapt off the pad, screaming skyward into polar orbit. God, I love watching solid fuel vehicles launch because of how fast they lift off. Bad news from SpaceX. They have built their last Dragon spacecraft. It will be used for the CRS-12 mission in mid-August. No more will they manufacture the first-generation capsule, because they are anticipating the successful flight of their Dragon 2 spacecraft. So it's not really bad news, as it is them feeling confident enough that the new vehicle that they want to invest in it further. Now, we're still a long way away from Dragon 2 flying at all, crewed or uncrewed. There will still be a few cargo missions between now and then, and SpaceX has said that all of those missions will be reflies of previously flown Dragons. The first time they refurbished one, it cost them about as much as it does to build one new. But now that they're more experienced with that process, and they can get through it faster, they could see a reduction in cost of about 50% versus building a new Dragon. SpaceX is putting a lot of emphasis on reusability all across the board, and it's pretty easy to see why. Speed, cost, and just the fact that you can stencil another shape onto the hull to show how many successful missions that Dragon has flown is really cool. However, it's not all sunshine and rainbows at SpaceX. They've been going over the numbers, and it looks like their idea to have Dragon 2 land under its own power has been dismissed. At least for now. Elon Musk confessed that it's been a lot harder developing that capability than was originally thought. For one thing, the little legs that pop out of the heat shield are looking like they aren't strong enough. So they've removed them from the design entirely. It was a really difficult call to make, and in the press conference where Musk announced it, it was clear he was very disappointed. Saddened, even. They just can't guarantee the crew's safety. Musk said it would take far too long, a tremendous amount of effort and no doubt a lot of money, just to qualify propulsive landing for human flight. Maybe at some point in the future they'll be able to bring it back. I certainly hope so. It's a really neat idea. Man, with Dragon 2 losing powered landing and the Falcon Heavy maiden flight expected to fail shortly after liftoff, SpaceX has taken a bit on the chin. But that's the risk you run when you try to change an industry, as well as the world. NASA is looking to select the next major telescope to build and launch, aiming for it to go up in the 2030s. With how technology has improved and advanced, both in optics and access to heavy lift rockets, suddenly it feels like we could put whatever we want up there and scan the cosmos for pretty much anything. So NASA wants to pick something. There are four projects currently being presented. The Large Ultraviolet Optical Infrared Surveyor, or LUVOIR, I guess that's how it's pronounced, L-U-V-O-I-R, a multi-purpose follow-up to the Hubble and James Webb telescopes with an enormous 8 to 16 meter primary mirror. The Habitable Exoplanet Imaging Mission, or HABX, smaller than LUVOIR, or LUVOIR, will be about a 4 to 8 meter mirror designed to look for exoplanets that could harbor life, as the name suggests. And just for scale, an 8 meter mirror is bigger than James Webb, by a, a fairly decent bit. Origins Space Telescope. This is a far infrared observer with a primary mirror that could be up to 9 meters across, though there are some designs that show it even bigger than that. It would be the successor to the Spitzer Space Telescope, which is possibly going to be privatized soon. It would investigate how galaxies, stars, and planets form, while also searching for water and greenhouse gases on exoplanets, among other things. Then, last but not least, there's the Lynx X-ray Telescope. This would take up the mantle of the Chandra X-ray Observatory and ESA's XMM-Newton mission. 
It would study the dawn of the first black holes as well as when the first light sources formed after the Big Bang. These all sound really cool, but NASA, currently, can only pick one. There's sure to be more news about this in the future, so stay tuned. Opportunity, a rover which landed on Mars in 2004, is still going, 13 years later. Pretty dang impressive since it had an expected life of only 90 sols. Those are Martian days, which is just a little more than 90 days here on Earth. It's traversed 45 kilometers across the face of the red planet, which may not seem like much to us here on Earth, but keep in mind, rovers are pretty slow. Opportunity itself has a top speed of about 1.8 kilometers per hour, and it doesn't even operate anywhere near that speed. Still, it's the little rover that could, and now it sent back a photo of a new region. Well, new to Opportunity. It's called Perseverance Valley, a gully that cuts a swath through a crater. Controllers intend to drive the little rover into the valley next month, once they can talk with it again properly. Right now, Mars and Earth are in opposition, meaning opposite sides of the sun. That blocks communications between the two worlds, so once we can get a line of sight connection with Mars again, Opportunity is going in. Guess what, you lucky folks? You get a bonus this time! There are two astronomical events to discuss. One of them is going on right now. Long ago, Comet Swift-Tuttle left a trail of rock and dust behind as it crossed Earth's orbit. Every year, around July and August, Earth passes through this trail, skims it really, and we get a light show called the Perseid Meteor Shower. It happens roughly the same time every year, and this year, the peak of the shower will be on Saturday, August 12th. That will be when you can see the most meteors at one time, roughly 60 per hour. It's actually going on right now, but the intensity is only ramping up. We call these meteors the Perseids because they appear to come from the constellation Perseus. It's just a curious coincidence that they happen to be coming from that region of the sky. If you're in the northern hemisphere, go out after dark and look north, then a bit east, sort of near the horizon. Depending on the date, you should be able to spot Perseus, and if you watch long enough, you should be able to see some shooting stars. If you're not sure where to look, there are plenty of star charts and apps you can use to get a fix on the position. Then, just a little more than a week after the peak of the meteor shower, the Great American Solar Eclipse will occur. On Monday, August 21st, the moon will pass between Earth and the sun such that it will cast its shadow and follow a line running from Oregon all the way to South Carolina. That line is called the Path of Totality, where the moon blocks out the sun completely, or very nearly. It might be just the right distance to cover it all, or it may show just a halo, just slightly too close to Earth to cover the disk. If you're not on this narrow path of totality, just search on Google for a map that shows the path. You should be able to see how much of the eclipse you'll be able to see. Remember, do not ever look directly at the sun or even an eclipse without proper protection. Only when you experience totality can you take any protective glasses off, but only during totality, after it has started and before it ends. Once totality ends, put them back on. The damage done to your eyes, if you're not careful, cannot be felt, but it can be pretty serious. So look online, find a reputable source that has the exact kind of eclipse glasses that you need. You might need to do a little research to find out what's involved. That's all this time. For more on space and space-related matters, check out the social media for all agencies and companies mentioned. And don't forget to check out my long-form podcast, Committed to Launch, at CommittedToLaunch.com, and at LaunchCommit on Twitter. If you've got a question about space, send it on in. Until next time, this is Smokescale Aquatus saying keep looking up, space fans. There's only one thing you're listening to right now, and it's for what it's worth.
Fifty Shades of Grey, the furry edition, is brought to you by some random person who's never seen a condom before in her life. That's right, today's reading is the Let's Try to Put a Rubber on His Dick episode. He looks glorious, dot dot dot, mine, dot dot dot. I curl up the bed and sit astride him to undo his jeans, sliding my fingers under the waistband, feeling the hair in his... Oh, so happy trail. <laughs> it says, oh, so happy trail. Seriously. Feeling the hair in his oh, so happy trail. She hasn't even taken his pants off yet. And somehow has gotten like pube central. All right. You know, the curlies, if they're going through the Levi's, honey, you need to manscape. All right. It's just how this works. All right. Second of all, if you have pearlies that are that strong, we should consider like maybe you might need some sort of adamantium ra razor or something here because if they're poking through that level of cotton, it's impressive. It keeps going too. She's this this person's enamored by pubic hair. You'll have to learn to keep still, I scold, and I tug at the hair under his waistband. She hasn't gotten this. It's crazy. You're absolutely nuts. All right, so here we go. This is, are you ready for this? Because it's the I've never seen a condom before in my life thing. Yes, Miss Steele, he murmurs, eyes burning bright, because apparently, I don't know, this guy's got like an inner flamer. Every time she talks about this character, it's like flaming eyeballs. It's called Visine, all right? Maybe you should see a doctor about this. We have pills these days. Your contacts are causing you irritation. Try, like, maybe the, the Visine Aqua or, you know, something like that. Dunk your head every once in a while in the toilet. That might work. Have some random person at the gym pee in your hands. I mean, anything. Just do something to cause this itch to go away. I... It's truly amazing. And now remember, when I read this next line, they're both horny. She's like pube crazed and retard strong. And he's trying to make it so she doesn't get the preggers because you never stick your dick in crazy. But if you're going to, you better wrap that up. So who knows where it's been. I search his pocket slowly watching his face as I feel around for a condom searching slowly okay listeners I don't care what you're doing right now all right I mean I know you're jerking off to this but still put your pants back on especially if you're driving because if you're not driving with pants then we have some serious issues here Search your pockets slowly. Just try that. Stick your hand in your pocket. Search around slowly. Now, have you found anything in there? Let's see. Uh, keys, uh, pocket lint, uh, some loose change. Oh, yeah, the condom that I just happened to stick in there before I wanted to bone this person. You have a pocket joke? All right. All right. There you go. 
That just happened, ladies and gentlemen. Not only do you get on this podcast amazing readings from Fifty Sheds of Grey, you also get completely visual jokes on an audio podcast. And you know what makes it even funnier? Having to explain it after the fact. It's... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, this 4K. What are you, poor or something? Jeez, we bumped up a years ago. This is we're up to 6K. Yeah, we're we're on we're on like XDHD or something like that now. You, we don't our our HDMI cable is six inches thick. You could wrap a dollar bill around my dick. It's so thick too. Just want you to know that, and my HDMI cable for that matter. Hung like a tuna can though, so you know. <laughs> I don't think we had an ident today, but let me just double check my ident bag. Oh no, I think we did have an ident. Uh, look at me being prepared. I should be scolded by someone. Rui's not here. I know. Oh, I know. No, I don't have an ident. Shame. We don't have an ident. Where's my idents? All right. It's so it's always where you last thought, uh, last left it. I know our fire, our fire breath did our ident. So we need idents. If you would like to do an ident, we like them a lot and they're fun. Go to forwhatitsworth.com at the top on the menu, click do our ident, and that's where you say this is so and so something funny, and you're listening to for what it's worth. But it's also time, huh? This is Nuka, something clever, and you're listening to for what it's worth. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Nailed it. Yep, you you got it. All right, so now it's time for this. Today's episode of For What It's Worth has sold out for 30 seconds yet again because we got to pay our bills somehow. Paying the bills is fun. So, today's episode is brought to you by... Let's see. I got my list right here. Here it is. Fido. Fido is our tippy-top uber sponsor who has paid most of our bills for us fido we love paying the bills with you it's so wonderful but no seriously thank you the next person we would like to thank is the infamous the wonderful the tasty doritos locos taco from taco bell it's dokos who is sad that they don't have a little cardboard holder for the taco anymore do they have they got rid of it yeah no they've been phasing it out for a while so the question is do they have Doritos Locos tacos in Canada? Uh, I wouldn't know because I moved back to Edmonton where they had just closed down all the Taco Bells. Okay. Uh, part of me died inside. <laughs> yeah, you, you, it's Taco Bell. But they do have Doritos Locos and Docos. So I if mean, you, it's just Taco Bell. Take it back. <laughs> Take it back now. It has fries in Canada. So if you would like to donate to For What It's Worth and help us keep going, go to patreon.com slash FWIW. We have a variety of wonderful rewards, including hearing your name on the air like Fido and Tokos did. Until next time, thanks for donating. Look at me. I sound like a professional when I do that. And please mail Nuka a taco.
<laughs> but no, no cardboard holder. Have you had an old Taco Bell taco? An old Taco Bell Yeah, taco? like you put it in the fridge and you heat it up that night. Yeah, actually, yes, I have, and they're delicious. Ew. I think they're fantastic. If you don't nuke it again. If you nuke it again, it gets nasty. No, the you, lettuce gets all shitty. You have to nuke it again. Okay, before we get back to the topic, I just need to ask you one question. Mayo or ketchup? Oh, what side am I on? Yeah. Uh, I think ketchup tastes better. It's tomato jam. That's right. tomato fucking jam. Why are you putting and tomato jam on everything? Because it's delicious. Uh, read this email. I'm punishing you. All right, we're going back to the topic. Furry lifestylers. <laughs> now we're going to go to the far off land of Italy. So from China to Italy. All right. Uh, so this is from Giuseppe Joey Sasso. Ciao. Hi, in Italian. Ruin tugs. I'm Joey, the very same brown fox who sent you a couple of audio recordings from the previous episode of the podcast. Thank you for adding them on the episode, by the way. Winky face. So do I prefer to be viewed as your persona called by my own furry name? Is my furry name my own real name and not my legal one? Or do I just like the artistic side of it? The answer is are pretty complex. Let's elaborate a bit. Whenever I I hang out with my furry friends, local groups at furry cons, yes, I'd prefer to be viewed as a very chubby six foot eight inch tall brown fox. Whenever I'm in fursuit or not, it doesn't really matter. And to be called by my fursona's name. That's because I see and live the furry thing as a lifestyle. However, due to the fact that the fandom here in Italy is not so well and greatly developed as in other foreign countries, either European or American ones, I'll never ask to refer to me as my persona in the presence of normies, especially friends, acquaintances, co-workers, and so on. Moving on to the second part of your question, Joey doesn't match my real name, which is Giuseppe, Joseph. It may have some assonance with its, but I chose Joey because I liked how it sounds and also for a pun on my FA accounts. Average Joey equals like the average Joe, which refers to a man who is not extremely difficult, different rather, from everyone else, i.e. not having any special features, skills, talents who makes him standing from a crowd. I like the artistic side of my persona. I do sometimes commission other artists and my pictures help me and other furries to visualize, depict, illustrate how I would like to be seen or which my kinks are. See my gallery, that's the gallery name there. Uh, especially if you're into something that is almost impossible to replicate in real life, like macro macrophilia, but some photos in fursuits really do help, especially if you're going to uh, low down on the floor asking for a fursuiter to stomp, punt a uh, foot pause on your body face too. Finally, and in conclusion, I think my own opinion that a more emphasis on furry lifestyling, fursuiting, hanging, uh, any activities with friends, only be a movie to watch, a small trip, or just a dinner, is much more fitting and preferred to me than just pretending to be just the picture drawn by someone which lives only on the internet and will never reach the outside world. Well, I hope I don't bother you uh, with this long email. Me and my boyfriend, Dracetto, I probably butchered that. My apologies. We'll keep listening to you, and we will give you your best. Uh, a la prossima, for what it's worth. Translation until next time. I uh, prossima. I learned, oh, I learned some Italian today. I don't speak Italian, but I but I assume it's like Spanish. Okay. It's interesting. He hit on a lot of different points there. A lot of different mm-hmm. points. I love that we're getting emails from other countries, by the way. I just, I love it. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> 
see, so see, he sounds he sounds like a lot of how most furries I know operate, which is outside of work, they go by and get viewed as their persona. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just how they go. But you know, at work it's work, and you know, there's the internet part, which has all the fun, the art, and then there's the real life stuff and cons and. And which is kind of just like a hyper extension where you can concentrate. And I like those parts a lot too because I'm not in my hometown, so I can get away with murder, not literally, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But what what were your reactions? So, and again, this this sounds a lot like the second email where this is sounding a lot closer to what I would think of as a lifestyle or a person for whom, even though there may be some context where they're not as as vocal about it or not as. Uh, where they sort of tone it down a little bit, you still see furry reflected in, in most aspects of this person's life, whether it's the way they represent themselves. They say, uh, I prefer to be viewed as a very chubby six foot eight tall brown fox. So this is uh, part of their self-image or self-concept. You see it in the way that they ask other people to refer to them. Uh, it's starting to become part of um, the art that they like, their, the, the kinds of websites they're going to. Um, so it's sounding a lot like it's, it's it's permeating much more fully their sort of data, like every aspect of their life. So it sounds a lot closer to a lifestyler um, than not. True. See, what I wonder is where I, the only time I think that like lifestyling could become potentially dangerous. And I'm not picking on you, Joey, so don't don't take it this way. Uh, I have other people that I know that have done this, though. Where they're they're very much into like the weight gain or something like that, and so they let their health go off the rails on purpose, hmm. and that's when I think lifestyling can be a little bit more dangerous. Like there, there's there's I think there's a, a level of stupid, and then there's a level of dangerous. Stupid being like, you know, if you're if you're in a workplace where the, the culture in that industry is very conservative, and you couldn't wear a tail, but you insist on doing it anyway, and you get fired, that's stupid. You were willingly dumb. Dangerous is completely different. Where like you're putting your life on the line. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, what, what's what's your take on people who do something that could be dangerous to be a lifestyler, such as oh, I'm going to gain 200 pounds? Um, so the sort of the the should they be allowed to versus is it a good idea? And I would say you know uh, I'm very big on liberty, and I say if that if that's really what you want to do, if that's you know there's there's nothing I I or anyone else can do to to stop you. Um, I don't think it's a great idea in a lot of cases. Um, it, it, especially, it, it's different. It's one thing if you want to say, "Oh, I want to dress like my persona," or "I want to," you know, it's cute to wear ears and a tail, or um, you know, these are very minor things. But when it comes to you know starting to put your body at, at serious risk or um, potentially endanger you, I'm, I'm thinking a person wearing a tail in like a, a factory or something like that, where it could get caught in some machinery. Um, right. When it comes to yeah, practical matters like that, I would say that it, there's such a thing as potentially going too far. Um, and and you know it's it's it may not be worth it to to put your life at risk to to pursue this. Um, so that, I, I would sort of caution against going too too extreme with it. But in general, I would say that's not a bad idea if you want to you know make make furry your lifestyle. Just you know everything in moderation. Just be be safe. Be careful. Safe, sane, and consensual. Isn't that what the rule is? Yep, basically. I'm not in that community, but I like that rule. Okay, it, it works so well in other parts of your life too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about the sane part, but yes. So the next email is from Mafelme. Mafelme says, "Hi everyone, it's Mafelme again. When you announced in the Telegram chat you are revisiting the Lifestylers episode, I knew I had to write in again." 
I am openly a furry to friends and family. And any and honestly, if anyone who doesn't know asks me if I am, I tell them. Every time it comes up in family talks, it's positive and makes me happy, even though they all say Mafalme wrong. Recently, I've been accepted for a college internship at Disney World, and of course everyone asks me, are you going to mascot for them? Unfortunately, I missed auditions, so I'm not. But they have auditions around Christmas and Halloween time for not normal characters, so I'll be hopping on that. Getting back on topic, I'll be moving down from Rochester, New York for four months, and my first instinct was to find furries in Orlando, because honestly, if I don't make friends with other cast members, I'll always have the furries. You can say my social life kind of revolves around furries, since that's how I make friends. On another side note, there are multiple Facebook groups for the internship that I have joined, and I joined an LGBTQ group, and when I introduced myself, I mentioned I was a furry to other furries, and was immediately kicked from the... Oh, a furry to find other furries, and was immediately kicked from the group because I was a furry. Isn't that bullshit? Sorry for being so ADD in this email, but in short, I'm a furry lifestyler who gets along with almost everyone, and if the person doesn't like me, I don't put effort in to be friends with them. Thanks for reading from your soon-to-be Disney cast member, Mafalme. There is an interesting phenomenon with Disney and furries as far as being a cast member, which is the zoo crew, who are the mascotters, don't like furries from what I understand. They just don't. That, That's unfortunate. Uh, well, you know, I think the thing is, is they don't want to get mixed up with people who like the, the uh, After Dark fursuit stuff. Yeah, I, I understand why. If you don't want to be associated with that, you'll, you'll kind of throw furries under the bus. <laughs> right. Right. That that being said, though, I'll, I'll hit you up, Mathelma. I knew plenty of furries down in Orlando. Plenty. And I've been down there on the Fun Day Poppet show, so you should go do that, too. I, I also agree with you, Mafalme, that that's, uh, that is bullshit, getting kicked out of an LGBT group uh, just for being a furry. Um, I imagine it probably has something to do with uh, people with, with the wrong assumptions about what a furry is. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. You hate to see it. I wonder if it's because they thought it was like, oh, this isn't a king group. You're just supposed to be super vanilla and only like your same gender slash be transitioning. Well, and that, and that's just what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that it has, it, it's a misconception. It's this idea that, oh, you're a furry, therefore you're here seeking other furries to boof in suits or something like that with. And that's just not uh, that's not what we're about. I, I'm assuming that that's the rationale for why. That or they assumed it was a trolling thing, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that, that is bullshit, especially when you consider how much of the fandom is LGBTQ. Um, yeah, it's you hate to see that. Right? Ugh. Frustration. So, good luck. We want you to succeed. So, next email is from Red. Your turn. All right. Uh, good evening, Tugs, Rue, Koru, and guests. That, that's me. Uh, the topic of furry lifestyle has definitely become a more nuanced subject to me as I've grown as a person in and out of the fandom. As I've been active on and off in some form in the fandom for close to eight years now, I've come to see that the term means a wide range of ideals between people. For myself, however, the lifestyle has become something more of a personal means of motivation, whereas it was more about raw escapism when I was a fresh face on the scene. Uh, what I mean by personal motivation is that my persona is no longer a perfect vision of myself, but rather one which addresses my own imperfections and weaknesses, along with my strengths and core personality elements in a healthy and personally satisfying way. It's kind of the reason I think I've changed around fursona so much in my time in the community. For example, my newer fursonas, including my current form, are all typically of a more stout body type and exhibit a lot more of my a lot of my same insecurities about that and other things related and not in RP, whereas my earliest characters would have never done so. Body positivity was 
body positivity was almost totally unknown for me while I was still a high schooler, which is definitely reflected in, my, in the svelte, sleek designs and cool demeanors of these personas. However, this change doesn't mean I've become more complacent about my health or appearance. Instead, it's more about seeing my ideal as less about the overall look and more about trying to be happier with my real physicality and mental state, as well as the advantages and struggles that come with it. Plus, having a more realistic body type to my own certainly will make it less weird for me when I finally manage to commit to a fursuit. This has led me to have a name for my persona that's a bit closer to my own life outside the fandom. My name in this community, Red, is essentially my nickname at work as well. Bringing that name from that sphere into our own little society makes me feel much more in tune with the happier, healthier version of myself I see in my persona. It makes boring human me and interesting beaver me much closer to the one, to one in the same in my own mind whenever I hear that name, regardless of where. This combination of associations with that name has become one of my little ways of integrating the fandom and the furry lifestyle into my everyday life and helping me try to work towards that better version of Red on a much more conscious level. While I... As I write this, I'm still more of a background character in the fandom, since Red from work has become a more present character than Red from our community in my daily life. My little efforts to bring the ideals of an uninhibited, better self from the latter and integrate it into the whole of my being makes me feel much more in tune with it, regardless of how much artwork, RP sessions, or even chats with other furs I can engage in as I continue to grow as a person. Because of this, I really think that the furry lifestyle can be something that isn't implicitly outside of a regular one. Of course, I'll strive to be a more active presence among you awesome people, and maybe realize that far-off dream of a full fursuit. But like my fursona, I'm just going to have to take whatever happens in stride, confident that I can still reach whatever I set my mind to. Cheers, Red. This is interesting, this evolution over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with the... I've, I've, no, I've I've kind of I, I'm I'm being I'm being contemplative. That's kind of why I paused. But I I'm finding that like I used to in my twenties be like you know furry was a very strong part of me that was like the defining part of me, and it's not to say that the other parts weren't there, and it's not to say that it necessarily hasn't mellowed or anything like that. It it's that it's it's I I've become more three sixty about everything like it it's it's a defining part of me but it's also i'm i'm, I'm a person with many qualities is how I've this is context right and so it's like yeah tugs is a furry and this and this and this and this like that you don't punctuate the sentence after is a furry it's that mm -hmm. make, that's kind of how i've shifted yeah and that's kind of in line with a bunch of research that's been done on wisdom and one of the one of the i mean wisdom is one of those really slippery things that's hard to nail down and define but one of the best definitions I've heard from it about it is this ability to contextualize that you don't take things on the face, but you always put them within a context. And I think that as we grow older, we get better at doing that. So whereas a, a 20 year old furry uh, may say, you know, this 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 persona is me. I'm a furry. I'm nothing but a furry. Um, the only people I hang out with furries and furry is I live, breathe and eat furry. As you get older, you can sort of contextualize and say, well, I can find ways to sort of. Um, uh, make this work for me in my job or in my my day to day life in my social um, context, but there is this bigger context. I'm more than just this one thing. It, you know, hearing it put that way, though, it is kind of disheartening in a way. I I, I want to say it's the bluntly, it's it's kind of sad in a way though, because like I remember when it was really exciting and like this is it, and there was so much passion behind it. Where now it's like maybe I'm just so comfortable with it, 
Like it, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's just part of the whole. And but that passion was very exciting for me, you know. Well, I mean, you can consider it uh, like the difference between uh, infatuation and sort of this really deeply felt love. Infatuation is exciting. It's it's very passionate. It's exciting. It's 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 all encompassing. And, and you sort of get the blinders on when, when you're in sort of an infatuated mindset. And I think a lot of furries, when they come into the fandom, have that sort of infatuation for it. It's It, it becomes all-encompassing part of their life. Um, but I would hardly say that you know the, the deeper, longer-lasting love uh, with all the warts and all uh, is, is not um, – it's different, but it's not worse in any way. It may not be as passionate or as, as exciting and, and – um, uh, thrilling, but it can still be very, you know, to me, a furry who's been in the fandom for 20 years and maybe can take a little bit of a step back and appreciate some context and still find the fandom uh, very fun and very engaging and, and, and something that's worth keeping in their life. Uh, to me, that that's just as, as uh, that says something, I guess. It, it hasn't flamed out. It hasn't burned out. It's still something that they're very passionate about years later, even if it's not all encompassing. It's still kind of there and, and sort of sort of mold your whole life around it uh, rather than it is just your life. You know, it, you can sort of build your life around it. It sounds, I think it's still interesting. <laughs> so do you think that the infatuation thing has, like if, if, if we, let's assume that that's the basis here for a minute. Do you think that has to do with the flame out trend at 30 where people leave the fandom? Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people leave the fandom before 30 or at around 30. Uh, and I think that's definitely one of them is you get in the fandom for a few years and it's it's super fun and exciting. And then after a while you go, eh, it's, you know, it, if you have, you know, I'm stuck on the tacos thing. You have tacos uh, and it's amazing, but you have tacos every day for, for seven days, 30 months, 30 days a, a month. After a while you go, okay, it's, it's kind of lost its appeal and I want to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can definitely see how it could wear out like that over time and, and why a person if that was the only thing that was kind of keeping them in the fandom is that excitement they you know call them the the, the fair weather fans if you will the ones who just kind of leave after a while uh because it, it doesn't give that rush anymore they have to find something else um but there's other reasons to leave the fandom as well and and one of the reasons i think has this element of context to it this element of, of wisdom where you know as you get older you start to realize that hey i can hang out with the friends that i met in the furry fandom and we don't always have to hang out and talk about furry stuff you know, we're still friends that met in the furry fandom and we can still we still can talk about furry stuff, but that's not all there is. There, there's much more depth to those relationships. There's much more complexity and nuance there. That's interesting because I've run into some of these very thoughts, but I'm looking at them through this lens now. And it it's much different feeling than it is when I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated. These people are shallow. Like there's more <laughs> to my life than this, you know. <laughs> Mm. It, it's kind of an interesting holistic take on it for the first time, I think, for me. I was going to finish up by saying I don't think you can fault people for you know an 18-year-old who get, finds a furry fandom and just falls into it and it becomes everything about them. In part because um, it's it's you're you're not a fully developed person until at least your mid 20s, and and some would argue long past that. You're still answering the big questions about who you are and your place in this world. And so, if you don't have that fully sort of settled idea of who you are it's really easy for something to kind of come in and and take over that mm-hmm. uh, but you look at a furry who's in their their 30s or their 40s and you know they've kind of answered these questions and they've contextualized everything they've kind of settled it in and, and and sort of built their identity built their social life around that and they sort of made it fit into the mosaic rather than this is all i am and nothing more right i'm gonna have to percolate on this we'll probably call i'm probably going to talk to you about this more either recorded or not but Sure. Yeah, my, this is going to roll around in my head. Hopefully for a lot of people too, though.
listening to For What It's Worth. Oh, you thought this was a commercial, huh? Not this time. I'm just telling you what you're listening to. What, you want an ad? Fine, here's an ad for you. If you like For What It's Worth and want to help it grow, go sign up for the Patreon campaign. It costs a non-zero amount of money to make a show like For What It's Worth, and Rue and Tugs contribute their time out of the goodness of their hearts, however full of naughty thoughts they are. In order to keep the show coming to you, the For What It's Worth website costs money to maintain, so every little bit you provide helps fund the operation. If you want to contribute, go to patreon.com forward slash FWIW. Tiers start as low as $1 and go all the way up to $100, and each has their own rewards for levels of contribution. You don't want the show to have to sell out and start playing ads for hokey products, do you? I didn't think so. There, are you happy now? Blasted millennials and their avocado toast killing the door-to-door salesman industry. Why wouldn't you want your own door-to-door salesman? Why, they practically pay for themselves. And the crate they live in takes up so little floor space you don't even know it's there. Wait a minute. What am I saying? Coming next week, for what it's worth brand door-to-door salesman. When you need someone to hawk crap at you, think for what it's worth. Speaking of tacos, the next email, though, is from Dokos. Funny enough. Excellent transition. Right? Look at me. Hello, all. It's Dokos, your friendly neighborhood talking taco tiger. I, I genuinely hope that he is identifying as a taco tiger because of this show. <laughs> like, I would be so happy about that. You have no idea. I originally was planning to write in as just a hobbyist, but I went back and listened to the first lifestyle or hobby episode, and it got me thinking. I don't have a suit. I don't have a tail or other free accessories. Hell, I just commissioned my first piece of art at the beginning of July, and I haven't even been to a convention yet. But I, considering that I'm on Telegram a lot talking with other furs, and I do growl whimper, and yes, even mow. Taking all this into account, I think I leaned more towards a lifestyler. However, I don't really care to put a label on my cell phone way or the other. The differences between the two seem rather arbitrary or so personal that without agreed upon and static definitions, they don't really serve their purpose. So I'll tell you what, you guys can decide if either I'm a hobbyist or a lifestyler based on this email, and I'll go with whatever you decide. Any whore, yes! As <laughs> always, thank you, Rue Tugs and Guest, for providing an awesome show. Dokos. I'm Guest. <laughs> yes. Um, so one of the things that I, 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 I'm glad this email sort of addressed is this, this is conflation, this tendency to, um, mix up having furry stuff or spending money on furry and being a better furry or being more furry. Um, and I can't tell you the number of people who said, oh, I'm not a real fur. I don't feel like a real furry because I don't have a fursuit or I haven't purchased a lot of furry art yet. So I must not be a, you know, am I a real furry? Um, and I definitely want to dispel that misconception that you know you can't be a real furry or that you can't be a lifestyler if you don't have a fursuit or if you haven't spent thousands of dollars on arts um i mean that's certainly one way to to or one sort of i would say symptom or, or trait of being a lifestyler is that you have you know if you are spending thousands of dollars that might might be a sign but it's certainly not necessary um i think that if if it's an important part of who you are if it's an important part of your social circle if it's uh changing the way you think about yourself and your vernacular and the way you understand the world 
then you can be a lifestyle regardless of whether and regardless of what you own essentially mm-hmm. you can you can sort of be a, a you can devote your life to your favorite sports team without necessarily having purchased all of their their doodads and gizmos from the gift shop it's kind of like when you go to disney <laughs> yeah please, yeah you can be a life please yeah, exit the fandom life- through the gift shop <laughs> right you can be a fan of disney without necessarily having to own all of the uh the merch Oh, aren't you cute? You know what merch is in Splatoon, right? What? Like he's literally a guy that will go and like you can you can buy other people's clothes. They'll like clone them basically. <laughs> and his name is Merch. Um, as for whether I would consider Dokus from the description I've got here, I would say not not because of the the not purchasing, but just um, uh, just from sort of what you've described right now that a lot of it tends to manifest in terms of just your social circle and how you interact with others who are furries. It sounds a little closer to, to a hobbyist. And I don't want to say just a hobbyist because there is this sort of negative connotation that people sometimes have. Oh, hobbyists are, are trivial. Hobbyists aren't aren't real furries or hobbyists aren't aren't as furry as the lifestylers and, and therefore not worthy of talking about or something. And I want to do away with that as well. So it's, it's perfectly fine to be a hobbyist. There's nothing wrong with, with having a hobby and with furry being that hobby. I don't know if... if- I consider them to be, you know, not equal hobbyists. You know, I'm a lifestyler. It's, it's just that it's, sometimes it's hard to relate. Like you get, you get weird looks and social context from them and stuff, which can be kind of a bit of a conflict point. Mm-hmm. And so well, that's where that comes from, I would guess. Well, there's an element of one-upsmanship too, right? And you see this in any in any fan group. If if I were to walk into the say Doctor Who forums and just say, oh, I really like Doctor Who. I've seen a couple seasons. You know, I consider myself a fan. You'll get some, you'll invariably get some person who says, I've been watching it from the very beginning. I've met David Tennant. I've got all the merchandise. I'm, you know, you're, how dare you call yourself a fan? You know, there'll, there'll always be some element of needing to, you know, or feeling the need to prove that you belong here, uh, especially considering we're, we're a group of people who often have a history of not fitting in and not belonging. There's that pressure to, uh, demonstrate or prove that you belong and it can feel kind of trivializing for someone to say oh you're you're just a hobbyist you know you're not taking this as seriously as some of us hmm i wonder why though is it because there's an emotional investment component and people don't want to feel like that's been trivialized um that i hadn't thought about that that's definitely a possibility and i actually wouldn't mind looking into that at some point ah, research-wise see every time you come on here you have to do another ideas, piece of research. ideas. <laughs> well because i know for me there's something i've discovered and i think a lot of people aren't aware of is that as i've worked through my own personal challenges in therapy you know i found that things that can threaten to trivialize something that i have put a lot of significant amounts of emotional investment there's a certain threshold right yeah that that threaten to diminish the perception of that value to me internally are yeah. very threatening to me i actually i absolutely agree with that um now that you've mentioned it uh, i had a, a funny little anecdote uh, i grew up reading the lord of the rings books like back in grade five when i got my ass kicked for being a nerd mm-hmm. for 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 reading these books and so years later when the lord of the rings films came out and you had all these people who were seeing it for the first time and it was suddenly cool to like lord of the rings and like oh yeah i'm a total lord of the rings fan and some part of me in the back of my head thought you know i suffered for this i had to you know get my ass kicked and and like it and and, and suffer through those really long books right? before it was cool and suddenly you can just kind of stroll in and, and you can use the same label that i do so i can understand why a person might feel that way um, but I guess it's 
if you want the fandom to thrive, if you want the fandom to do better, you have to not scare away the new guys, right? You know, there's uh, people leave the fandom, and if you want the fandom to stay healthy, you want new people coming in, and you don't get new people to come in by making them feel like they're um, unworthy of being there or like they're, they'll, they'll never be, be welcome there. You know, I know we need to go to the next email, but this reminds me of two quick points, which is at a hyper-generalized level, this is almost like, get off my lawn, which we jokingly <laughs> turn into get off my con, which I think you heard me jokingly say at BLFC. And yeah. and then um, the other thing, it reminds me of my experience in ham radio, which is that like around here and not in California, it's the only place where I've never witnessed this phenomenon. It's a bunch of old farts that don't want the young'uns to get on and like, you should have learned Morse code like I did. Blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And it's like, shut up. I, so I left. I yeah. don't care. Like, I, I keep the license around because it's convenient when I'm in a really busy place and I need radio contact. But beyond that, psh, killed all my interest. And I yeah. left. And so, you know, in, in 10 years when they auction off that very valuable radio spectrum, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Next email. It's your turn again, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, Hatchy, I think it's Hatchy. Hatchy. Hi, guys. It's Hatchy again. I hope you're doing well. When it comes to furry, I would consider myself a lifestyler as opposed to just a hobbyist. While the hobbyist probably enjoys furry during their free time, outside of their regular life schedule, I live and breathe furry every waking moment, even sometimes sleeping. Almost everything I do involves furry in some ways. Most of my friends are furry. My fiance is furry. I consume furry content like music and YouTube videos. Everything I do is online is related to furry. And I'm, a, I'm Hachi 100% of the time, unless my legal name is needed for family or legal reasons. Furry isn't something I just like. Furry is something I am. A trait that I have adopted as a lifestyler is seeing myself and everybody else as their persona basically all the time. That's not to say I reject my human form. I simply mean when I look in the mirror, I see both a young human man and a Shiba, in, Shiba Inu. Uh, and to me, they look exactly the same. In fact, if I show someone a picture of my fursona, I'll say, this is me, or this is how I look. I won't say things like, this is my fursona, his name is Hachi, he's a Shiba Inu, etc. It feels like I'm talking about myself in the third person. Thanks to this, it becomes jarring whenever I see or hear people use terms like character or fursona. It often sounds like they're talking about a separate entity besides themselves. This is sometimes true. For some, a fursona is a character with his or her own personality, backstory, preferences, mannerisms, and behaviors. It is a character that they act like, and it serves as something they aspire to be like. Like, if my character can be this or that, I can be those things as well. For me, a fursona and the person behind the fursona are one and the same, unless I see otherwise. Anyhow, that veered slightly into defining what a fursona is. It's just thoughts that I myself have pondered about for a few years now, as furry became more ingrained in my life. I strangely care a lot about this lifestyle I've adopted, even though it's just supposed to be about pretending to be cute and silly animals. Sincerely, Hachi. I love that he actually has like a signature. Yeah, there's an actual physical signature there. Right. Nice. You know, see, he he hits on it exactly how I still feel about like self-concept and how I like to see other people, which has been like this kind of this reasonably sore point in the local community, which is there's some people who are like, I will not call you by your furry name. And some people are like, but I consider that to be my real name. The term real name is a shitty term, by the way. Yeah. It really is. Maybe You're, legal name, perhaps. Right? But yeah. But yeah, real real is, is you know, what is real? Right. It's whatever you say it is. And so people often screw that up and I'll correct them. And they get mad. Uh, but like that, it, it's I, I still even catch my my brain kind of choking on this one a little bit is when like I have to, when I when I'm talking about myself. 
generally I'm referring to my cohesive self, right? Both, both my character and, you know, human form to borrow his term. Mm-hmm. The only time I ever would refer to my character as like a separate being is if I'm specifically in a context where I need to speak to like things like fur color, eye color, the, the degree of curl in the tail. I don't actually have that defined or mm-hmm. something like that. But otherwise, like if people say, you know, what show me you, I'm more apt and inclined to show them like, you know, character reference sheet or art or something rather than a yeah. photo. If, so I'm I'm like I'm really with him on this one. And see, I guess my two points. First of all, I would say this is like the the um, epitome of what I think of as a lifestyler. Like what what's being described here is exactly what I would say. Yes, this is a person who I would consider to be a lifestyler. It's it's permeated every part of their identity, every part of their life. Um, yes, this isn't just something they do um, in their their spare time or or for fun. This is an inextricable part of who they are. Right. Um, but with regard to the persona thing, I guess, uh, and this is perhaps a topic for a different episode or something, but um, see, I, I differ very much, at least in my own representation. It's, it seems weird to me to uh, – I always do kind of make a bit of a distinction between um, my persona Nuka and myself. They're, they're, they're definitely I, – I see Nuka as an idealized version of me, and I've become more like Nuka over time. But it's still you know, – I'm – I guess – and this is just me. My I, I don't see myself as a, as a blue cat in, in – day-to-day life so uh it feels a little weird to me to say that i can't make this distinction i understand absolutely why a person could uh be in that situation but for me it's just not you know nuka is nuka and i'm i'm me (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's kind of where you know bringing it back full circle when i was talking to my friend about lifestyling the the led to this episode being created is he's like i like being seen and thought of in my social circles as as my pony character you know, at work, I get that's different. Um, but in some ways, it, I feel like he can be a mascot, but he's become so much more than that to me. And I think maybe that could be one of the defining things for a hobbyist versus a lifestyler. A hobbyist may have an, an OC, an original character, where that's more of like a mascot or like an independent existence extension of themselves. But it's not like their alter ego. They don't live vicariously inside of that. Yeah. And there we go. See, look, I, I'm so proud. I brought it full circle. You did. I see what you did there. <laughs> right? Well, it's only because we're running out of time here. Did you have final thoughts before we go to housekeeping? Um, Nothing's coming to me. Okay. Well, hopefully this revisit has been enlightening to everyone out there. Um, and if you have any reactions, as always, do write and tell us. It's never, ever too late to write in on any topic we cover. You can listen to an episode from three years ago, and we'll still read your email, because we know people are listening, and it's still fun to hear people's reactions, and they're still just as valid as when we did the episode. Unless it's about, you know, like, President Obama, in which case might not be quite as timely. You know what I'm saying, though. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, well, there are some emails in the mailbag. Um, TG has sent us stuff Simone has another email and uh, Adam has sent us an email we are going to hold those for the next episode sorry guys they are really sweet wonderful emails and they do have some links we want to save those and give them the uh, proper amount of time that they deserve so with that being said I'm going to push this button and we'll kick off housekeeping have you commented on the site yet? It's time to be reminded in housekeeping. 
Okay, so now you, since you don't have all this list, everyone gets to listen to me talk for the next solid moment. So Yay. I know, I know. So thanks as always to Firebreath for doing our lines, Koru and Voss for being support cast, winding up the cables, etc., etc., and just being generally awesome support cast. We could not do it without them. Also, thanks to Smokey for being quasi cast and doing wonderful space news. Don't forget to listen to Committed to Launch, which is his long form space news podcast. It's wonderful, and you know he really wants everyone to listen to it. So go listen to it. Go. Do it now. Right. Uh, also, we you're here, so thanks for coming on and also doing get psyched. <laughs> That's You're weird welcome. to like work that in. <laughs> I, I live to make the show more complicated. <laughs> no, you live to make it more interesting. Oh, I forgot. Committed to launch.com, by the way. Um, also, join us on Twitter. We will tweet twat twat all day with you at For What It's Worth. We have Facebook. It just search for For What It's Worth. And Google Pies. We are on the Google Pies. I post episodes there. Fire Breath keeps watch. And we do try and reply, although we're not the greatest. We do try. Uh, we do have a Telegram group. Because miners struck out three times, you can message us through any of our social media, and we will add you. Send us your Telegram handle, and we will put you in. Make sure that your settings allow for us to do so. Uh, also, and last, comment on the show site. It's very important, because then it looks like people go and listen to the show. And that's kind of a nice thing, right? We actually do get some good discussions. And the next episode will be... The season finale. It is our final season in our current studio before we deploy our Seattle studio and the Salt Lake studio moves and season seven kicks off. So please send us your favorite moments of the season. We had many, many cool moments this season and uh, preferably if you can with the episode they were in, it helps me find them faster. We will assemble them and we will have fun reliving the last year and some months together. So that's it. See how easy that was? That was like, what, two minutes? It was so easy. Make it look so easy. <laughs> I, I just, I have lots of notes and practice. It's all in the practice. All right. You have anything to add before we let everyone go? Um, I do not. <laughs> well, you're not even going to plug like where to go find IARP or anything? I didn't really talk much about it, but I can. If you, if you want to go see furry research, go to furryresearch.com. Check us out. Uh, or furscience.com. Also check us out there. Or download our book. What about Psychology Today? Was it Psychology Today? Oh, yeah, Psychology Today, yeah. Uh, if you go to Psychology Today and type in furries, I think you'll see the most recent article I wrote that kind of kind of took off and got a little popular, which is pretty awesome. Right? You are famous. I'm, I'm something. <laughs> You're also going to be late. So, this is Tugs. And I'm Guest. <laughs> and you've been listening to For, For What, what it's, it's Worth. worth. Ha, 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 ha.